Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And today I want to talk to you about a three-letter word. It's called sin. You know, sin is not just a mistake. Have you ever thought about why is my life so difficult? Well, part of the reason that it's so difficult is because of sin. And the sooner we admit our sinfulness, the sooner we can embrace God's grace. So sin is not just a mistake. Sin is a transgression of the divine law. It's a willful and a deliberate violation of God's moral principles. Now, that's a heavy definition of the word sin, and maybe you're not convinced that sin is such a bad thing. Well, today in the broadcast, I want to talk to you about sin and the effects of sin, and then I want to talk to you about the antidote for our sin. Now, a mistake is an error in action. Maybe you miscalculated something. Maybe you had the wrong opinion about something. Maybe you had a wrong judgment, which caused you to have poor reasoning. That's a mistake. But sin is actually a transgression of a divine law. Sin is what we need a Savior for. We need the Savior to deal with our sin. Repentance and forgiveness are required, and sin requires this complete turn in direction. A mistake? Well, a simple apology will do, and I'll do better next time, right? If I bump into you and you spill your coffee, I say, hey, I'm sorry I did that. And he says, can I pay for your suit to be cleaned or whatever? A simple apology says, hey, I'll be a little more careful next time, and it's over. But sin is much deeper than that. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and let's see what Jesus said about this very heavy subject of sin. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle would by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, as we look at this passage, the majority of times in Scripture, when it addresses sin, and this might surprise you, the majority of time that the Bible talks about sin, it is in the context of the believer committing sin. Oh yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but for the believer, we should be very uncomfortable with unconfessed sin in our lives. Now, for a non-believer... Sin is a part of their life. And sometimes we hear people say, well, I was just born that way. They'll say that for excusing or giving a reason for why they do what they do. And it's true. They were just born that way. 
They can't help but to live that way because they were born in sin. So when the Bible is addressing sin, the majority of the time it is addressing believers who need to leave that lifestyle of sin. The Bible doesn't give any suggestions or offer any hope for the person who does not want to deal with their sin. There's no hope for them. There's no suggestions given to them on what they should do about it. That's why the Bible spends so much time talking about this matter of sin in the life of the believer and how we are more than conquerors over our sin. So let's talk about why we sin, first of all. We talked about what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is a transgression against God. But why do we sin? Well, number one is because we have sin that is imputed. That's the nature of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. So the terms of original sin or imputed sin refer to the main effects that Adam's sin had on the entire human race. First, as a result of Adam's sin, we all enter the world of this fallen nature. That's the original sin. That's the sinful tendencies that we have, the desires, the dispositions of our heart for which we are all born with. So we sin because we have a sin nature. Secondly, we sin because we have inherited sin, or some would call this generational sin. Ephesians 2.3 says, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So as a result of this inherited sin, we are sinful in nature, sinful in practice, both of these things. We commit sins because we were born with that nature to do so. Very few would deny that people make mistakes in life, yet many do not wish to accept the biblical view that people are born as sinners. Yet the best explanation for the universal practice of sin in our world is a part of the human nature. This does not excuse us from sin, but it does explain why we sin. So let's turn this on a positive note, okay? This problem of inherited sin has a solution. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I am foremost. Though we may feel we are the worst sinners in the world sometimes, Jesus came to save us. To save us includes forgiving us of our sins. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his riches of his grace. So we sin because we have a sinful nature. We sin because we have an inherited sinful nature, a generational sin. But number three, we sin because we make the choice to sin. This is what we would call personal sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. All make the conscious decision to sin. Now, when I was growing up, I was such an audacious little child that I knew there'd be consequences for my bad behavior. And I would weigh the consequences and say, well, I think in this particular case, 
This one is worth it. I remember one time I wanted to go out and see some friends, and uh, my mom says, no, you can't go out to see your friends, and you didn't have your homework done, and uh, she said, no, you're not going anywhere tonight, and so she says, if you decide to go somewhere, there's going to be consequences, and in that case, she was going to take the keys to my truck, and I had just started driving. I was 16 years old, and I bought a truck, and I was paying for that truck. I paid the insurance on it, but can you believe my mom said she's going to take my truck from me? If I went out that night, well, when I thought that she was asleep, I snuck out at night and, and I and I rolled my truck. I didn't start it, you know, as a stick shift. And and thankfully we lived on a on a kind of a hill. So I rolled my truck out the driveway and waited till I was just a little bit past the house before I started. And I went out and I went and uh, did, visited my friends and I came back maybe two hours later. And wouldn't you know, I got caught. And wouldn't you know that my mom took the keys of my truck for two weeks. And I said, well, how am I going to get to school and how am I going to work? He said, well, uh, there's this yellow bus that comes along and you're going to get on the yellow bus in the morning. And I said, well, how am I going to get to work in the afternoon? I got to pay for this truck, you know, even though I can't drive it, I still got to pay for the insurance and the gas. And she says, well, uh, I tell you what, I will drive you to work when you get home off that school bus. I will drive you. And then when you get done work, I will pick you up. And that way I know... Uh, where are you going to be? Because you won't have another way to get there. And uh, you have to wait for me to come pick you up. And, uh, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. So I couldn't call anybody uh, to help a brother out. And so those are my consequences. But you know what I said? It's worth it. I'm going to take my lumps and I'm going to go for it. That's called a choice. That is a personal sin that I committed going directly in the disobedience of my parents. Well, let's talk about how we sin, okay? Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus says, what does the law say, right? The law condemns us of our sin, but what does the law say about how do I inherit eternal life? He replied, how do you read it? And then he answered that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So here Jesus gives the solution to our sin. And he talks about the fact that it's written, the law, and why we sin and how we sin. Well, before we get into the rest of the solution for our sin, let's talk about types of sin. We've talked about the origin of sin. We've talked about the fact that we're all sinners. But how are the different ways in which we actually can commit sin? Well, I came up with uh, five different ways that we sin. So I want to cover these five different ways in which we sin. All right, number one, I would call these the sins of attitude. This is a hard issue, okay? And we're going to look at a very popular parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 15. Perhaps my favorite parable of all the parables that Jesus gave. I think Jesus gave 38 or 40 different parables. And so the first sin would be a sin of attitude. Luke 15, 25 to 28. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and he asked what was going on. And so the dad says, your brothers come home. And as a result of that, we've killed the fatted calf, and, and the older brother was angry. 
He refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. So here, this is an attitude, an attitude of jealousy, an attitude of resentment toward a brother. So the sins of attitude. You know, Jesus did to the Pharisees what Nathan did to David in pointing out their sin kind of in a roundabout way. So sins of attitude. I would tell my kids when they're growing up, there's two things in the corporate house that will get you in a world of trouble. Number one would be direct disobedience. Number two would be copying an attitude. And so the sins of the attitude, it's really a heart issue. Number two would be sins of the flesh. And this is more of a mind issue, okay? You think about doing something and then you actually do it. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions and divisions, envy and drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have told you before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, maybe as you just listen to that list, you say, uh-oh, Uh, Based upon that list, I'm in a world of trouble because I will not inherit eternal life. I will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul is reminding us here is that if we are dominated by this lifestyle, you know, you're a slave to sin before you're born again. You have no victory over sin. You are a slave to that sin. You can't stop sinning because you're a slave to that sin. But when you become a new creation in Christ, it changes the way your mind thinks. Paul tells us that you become a new creation. The old's done away with, all things have become new. So we've talked about the sins of attitude, the sins of the body. And number three would be sins of rebellion. Now, this is actually a soul problem. Now, in order to understand this concept of the sins of rebellion, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to walk you through it so that you can kind of get the background to this sins of rebellion. Now, Samuel came to Saul and said, I am the Lord God that has been sent to anoint you with oil to be the king over the people of Israel. So Saul, listen to what Samuel says. Here is the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel, when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites. Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Don't spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men, and he mustered his troops together, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek, and he set an ambush in the ravine. Then he says to the Amalekites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, so that I can show your kindness in all of Israel. So here we see that the the Kenites are mixed in there with the Amalekites, and so Saul gives them a warning and says, Now listen, you guys separate, 
I'm going to destroy the Amalekites, and I don't want you as Kenites to be caught up in that destruction. Verse number seven, then Saul attacked the Amalekites, and he attacks them all the way to the eastern border of Egypt. And then the king, the king of the Amalekites, Agag, was alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs and everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak was totally destroyed. So to get what Saul is doing, he's off in his battle and he's got the blessings of Samuel to destroy the Amalekites. He separates the Kenites and tells them to separate and they're spared. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But then he comes and he takes all the weak things, all the livestock that was maimed, anything that was despised, he destroyed it, but yet he saved the cream of the crop and he even saved the life of the king. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made you King Saul. Now, look at this. Here we see one of the only times in the Bible where God says, I regret something. Now, God knew what he was going to do in making King Saul king. And it says here that he regretted that. Now, how can God regret anything? This is an example of human language being brought into an event so that we can understand it. Even though God knew that Saul was going to be a disappointing king, he was going to do it to fulfill a purpose, but he would have rather not had done it that way. I guess you could say it's kind of like when God created us with a choice. He knew we were going to make the wrong choice, but yet he created us with a choice because he wanted us to love him, not because we were forced to love him, but because we chose to love him. And in order for that to happen, he had to give us that choice and he knew to make the wrong choice. And he says, I regret that I've made you king, Saul, because you've turned away from me. Uh, you've not carried out my instructions. And now Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up, and he went to meet Saul. And he was told that Saul went to Carmel, and, and that he had set up a monument in his own honor. And he turned and went down to Gilgad. When Samuel reacted to him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So Samuel goes there to Carmel, and he confronts Saul. And, and when Saul sees him coming, he's thinking, Oh, there's that prophet Samuel. He's going to bless me for carrying out the destruction of the Amalekites. And so Saul says, Hey, God bless you, Samuel. Good to see you, Sam. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is this lowering of the cattle that I hear? Saul answered. Now, he was slick, right? He had an answer right off the bat. He didn't have to think about it. He says, you know, those soldiers that, uh, that they brought them from the Amalekites, they, they, they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. And the reason we did this is because we want to make a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed everything else. Enough. Samuel said to Paul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me tonight. The Lord said, tell Saul that to obey is better than sacrifice. And here we see Saul was on mission for God, 
But that sin of rebellion crept in. Samuel says, you know, God doesn't delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he delights in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I'm not going back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe, and he tore it. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord, and Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came in to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will be your mother. She will be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Now, we look at this sin of rebellion. It's likened to the sin of witchcraft. It is a deep abiding sin. It is a sin that goes right to your very core. I guess you could say this is one of the most difficult sins to overcome because we're putting ourselves on the throne. You see, old King Saul was so full of himself. I mean, he even creates uh, an opportunity to have this altar built in his honor. He had done wrong, but yet he was celebrating like he had done right. It's recording that it's as a sin of divination or the sin of evil spirits. It is consulting evil spirits. It is a deep sin. As we look at five sins that we looked at today, sin number four would be sins of weakness or or sins of omission. James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So we can sin by not doing the things that we should do. We can sin by doing things that we shouldn't do. And James drives home this point that we have a a strength problem. We could have helped somebody. We knew we should have helped somebody, but we didn't. We should have done good, but we didn't do it. We just didn't do anything. That is a sin of weakness or a, a sin of omission. There's one final sin or one final category of sin that I wanted to cover today, 
and it's called the sins of ignorance. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. We say, man, we've covered a lot of different types of sins. We've covered the consequences of sin. Well, how do I get past sin? What must be done? Acts 3.19. Repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Do you get that? Times of refreshing may come from the Lord when we repent. Repentance is a change of mind that always leads to a change of direction. You know, if you only have a change of mind, but you never have a change of direction or change of behavior, I think you've only half repented. Your mind has convicted you, but you haven't made the behavior change. Repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm praying for you today, and I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to you so that you can live in victory over sin. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.